Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. A GLT with me, CG, which is a slippery slope to a G&T with me, CG. And we're recording, please. So look at that. They're, they're smiling and I should have been recording three minutes ago, but now we're recording. <laughs> so please welcome to the clearing some illustrious company. This is Katie Elliott, who I have the great joy of knowing way back when, when you were a musician for Instant Wit, which is how I first knew you. And I've been running Instant Wit or, or part of that for about 25 years. Then you've been off on all sorts of adventures. And um, gosh, you've had some adventures, which is why I'm very, very exciting. Excited. And I'm quite exciting. No, I'm just excited to bring you to the clearing because we've got lots to talk about, particularly the nation, the, sorry, the nature of resilience, which we'll come on to. So I know that you are a phenomenal facilitator and I'm not, not just being nice to you. I did one of your courses myself um, to my great joy and pleasure over the summer called Do Purpose, which is you attach yourself to the do lectures, but it was something that you'd very much curated and crafted, which which I'd obviously love you to talk about. And I know that you have your own podcast and also Little Challenges is your website. And what I adore about your blurb is that you talk about making the messy business of being human just a little bit easier. Just letting that float there. That's just beautiful. So welcome, <laughs> very warmly welcome, Katie to the clearing. How are you today? Thank you, Chris. I'm Oh, I don't know. I've had a bit of a messy morning. I've had a bit of a messy human morning involving all kinds of chaos. But I'm so glad to be here because just sitting down and looking at your smiling face is making me feel all calm now. I like that. And also you were so lovely because you're human. That's just one of the many reasons you're lovely. You said I, I did. Ha I was having a messy morning and I nearly got in touch to say, can we do this again? But I, when our presence is required, it's quite interesting how as human beings we can step up to the plate, isn't it, sometimes? Yes, I think that's one thing I've learned, actually, because I always used to back off from things. If, if things weren't perfect, if I didn't feel on top form, I would always back off from things, which made me properly flaky for most of my life. And one of the big things that's made me more resilient, just because you mentioned resilience, is actually learning just to just to do things and accept that it's OK to show up as you are and do your best. So, and indeed, um, therein lies the delicious um, attribute of authenticity. Warts and all, human beings, warts and all. You're not at all warty, just to be clear. <laughs> and by the oh, way, you, you know, I said I was feeling better, Chris. Let's oh, just now keep on that role, shall we? Just let's do that. <laughs> and by the way, do purpose. And I know that you're not just attached to the do lectures, but that was just in the summer for me when actually I was going through a really rocky time uh, in terms of working, you know, what to do about workflow. Uh, you got in touch with me before the summer, but but sincerely, I'd like to thank you at this point because you've really helped in the percolation of my own idea of coming to even where we are now, which is a place called, you know, the clearing where people come to think and get clear. Um, partly, and, and uh, sorry, I'm being so nice to you, but I, I mean this really, really sincerely, but I just think you are one of, you're the most astonishing curator and holder of spaces yourself. Um, so just talk me through your own sort of little happenings that you do online. 
Oh, okay. Yes, I'd love to. And um, please don't ever apologise for being nice to me. I, I'm just I'm just absorbing it gratefully. So thank you for that. There's a humility um, attached to what I'm saying, because honestly, I, I did learn so much from you over the summer because you're almost the antithesis of I'm quite frenetic within a space normally. And I thought I, I'm going to go and experience Katie because I need to shut my face more often. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I need to be quieter and stiller. And I love silence. And you are the queen of it, I think. Oh, well, we all we all have our thing, don't we? And I guess I'm probably on the quieter side. But but, you know, I it's one of those things I, I often look at other people who are livelier. I look at you and think, I wish I was a bit more like Chris. So maybe maybe I guess part of what I'm about is trying to encourage people to embrace what it is that they are and that they bring, because we're all precious and we're all needed. And that's kind of what the course that we did together was about. Just so you know, it's actually it was actually called Do Notice, but it did have a lot about purpose in it. I only say that because Do Purpose is a book by David Hyatt and I don't want ah. to claim credit for his piece of work by accident. So, Isn't yeah, that extraordinary? You know, that that so proves that it's not what we say, it's what people hear. Because yeah. I know you totally called it the right thing. But what I've remembered is how it's really got me on the open road of my own purpose. So so do noticing for me became about purpose. Indeed. And it was a lot of what we talked about. But that's a really interesting thing. You asked me about what I do. And, and one of the things I've been doing this year, a lot of, is hosting small conversational spaces for strangers around the world to come together and have what I hope are meaningful conversations that they wouldn't have in everyday life and meet people they wouldn't otherwise meet. I called those conversations little connections. But to be honest, I don't think anyone else in the whole world calls them little connections. Everybody calls them little conversations. So I love the fact that things, it's a bit like desire lines, you know, in, in uh, when people design spaces and they design parks and put pathways in them and then people walk across the gr grass and create a new pathway where they actually yes. wish there was one and they're called desire lines. So it's that, I love the idea that you can come up with ideas. But Did you say they're called desire lines? I, I think so, maybe we should I, look No, up. no, no, I head. love that. That's what they're called. Isn't that beautiful? I want so, to go here, that's my desire. I love that. And when you get enough people doing it, then it, it creates a little pathway. So I like the fact that, that your perception of that course was that it was called one thing. And most people think that I run little conversations when I think I run little connections. It doesn't really matter, does it? it what matters is that you pay attention to what people are experiencing and wanting and excited by, I suppose, and then just kind of co-create that with the idea itself. Yes. Maybe we're not responsible for these things we do. Maybe we're just helping along the way. <laughs> and it's, it, it really is richly as well. You know, one of my very favourite Maya Angelou quotes is people never remember what you say, but they always remember how you make them feel. And, and indeed, when I came to your curated space, I, I, I absolutely felt calm beyond calm. So the fact you're here as a sort of holder of resilience is a really powerful thing and i can't recommend you highly enough for that ability to to, to curate and in fact you asked me uh, to write a testimonial for you and um because you're crafting something new which obviously we can get you to talk about and i just instinctively thought if i had to download an app for a facilitator it might be you i'd like to be part that of that app so too lovely. but that was so Chris as well. That just gave me such a little chuckle when I read that. Thank you so much. What a delightful thing to say. <laughs> I think that will probably be appearing on all of all of my publicity forevermore now. <laughs> Until such time as we don't have apps anymore and we call them something different. But that's a whole other conversation. And just your journey to now, um, you've had an extraordinary sort of survivor's tale. And I know there is a... It, 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 it's, is it a TED talk or is it a do talk that you it's did? It's a do lecture. A yes. do lecture. 
Lovely. Yes, no, I have had a bit, I have wandered about a bit, it would be fair to say. Um, I dropped out of university. I became a children's author and illustrator. I became a jazz musician. <laughs> I became a parent all the way kind of stumbling about. And uh, somewhere in that process, I met you and used my musical improv skills to, to get involved in a little bit of comedy, which was wonderful completely unlike anything I've done before, but very joyful. Um, I've done all, all kinds of things, but uh, for most of my life was plagued by quite severe mental health challenges. And so reaching breaking point and trying to figure out how to recover from that has been what's shaped what I do now. So the work I do with Little Challenges, all the courses I do, the spaces that I host, everything I do is informed by that journey of basically breaking apart and then consciously trying to figure out how to put myself back together again in a way that worked better. Lovely. And and you're, you're, there's almost like a, a sort of journeyman, every man, every woman, there's a journeyman quality to that fact you're still wondering about working this stuff out because we're all just winging it. I think so. I mean, I think what I find interesting in the work that I do now is that uh, for those of us who are freelance and we're working with companies, working with individuals, it feels as though there's a lot of pressure to become an expert or to position oneself as an expert, the person who knows about this or who's great at that. And um, I have quite a deep-seated resistance to pretending to be an expert at anything because really all I know about is this process of trial and error and paying attention and experimentation, I suppose, so it feels like the antithesis of expertise because it's, um, in my opinion, we're all very different and we do have lots in common. And there are loads of things that we can share with one another in the form of sharing stories and anecdotes and examples of our own experience and techniques and things that we discover along the way. But it's such an individual process, I think, that the idea of being able to appear to be an expert and teach people about stuff, I find really quite uncomfortable because all I ever really say underneath all of the ideas and fun things that we do is, is, is encouraging people to listen to themselves, to trust what they know on the inside, to kind of validate that a bit more, because I feel as though we have a really externally focused culture where from a very young age, we learn to, to subjugate needs and, and intuition and feelings and desires in order to fit in. And obviously, a lot of that is really necessary. If you want to have a functioning society, those things are important. And, and to fit in within the group and to have social cohesion, all of that kind of thing. But for many of us, we've got so lost in trying to be the person we thought we were supposed to be and trying to play the game in the way we thought we were supposed to play it. We don't realize that there isn't actually one recognizable game anyway. So I'm, I'm all about not being an expert, but kind of walking alongside people and, uh, and, and trying to accompany people on that journey of figuring out for themselves what it is that they need to do to feel most fully alive. I love that, walking alongside people and accompanying them. And the idea of enabling or holding or, you know, enter the curator of the space. And yet the depth of wisdom in terms of still waters run deep, you know, in terms of silence. There's that adage where, you know, the, the world's best, well, the, the best teachers wear their knowledge lightly. So it's not about filling the space. It's more about just thinking we, we're OK, I am enough, 
you've got this let's listen to you let your thinking unfold it's such an interesting because there are paradoxes everywhere aren't there and and it's i feel the further i go down this path things are and they are not and so trying to say anything uh with absolute conviction gets harder i think i mean there's some things mm. i feel really strongly about like most people could use being a bit kinder to themselves i feel quite strongly about that one <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yes you know uh acting and you're, you're a trailblazer in that regard because of your own path your own journey of struggles and you know it's I try, but like all of us, I have my moments. <laughs> I was having one of them just before the call, which is why I was having a slightly chaotic morning. But I'm feeling a bit kinder now. And by the way, I had a walk with a, a mutual good friend of ours last week, a chap called Neil Bett, and uh, he, he he came up with an expression which is, keep buggering on. And and it's just this idea that we've, we just, you know, life is just, come on, everyone, let's just keep buggering on. We've got this. And over the summer, my favourite quote during all this period of adversity was actually uh, really lovely from Finding Nemo, which is just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, from, from Dory. And I love her because she's got no short-term memory retention. Luckily, you've got a lot because there's lots of deep knowledge in what you're saying here. So I'm not calling you Dory the fish. I'm just... Um, oh, do you know what? I think, I think I'd quite like to be. Perhaps next time around. Sure. Come back as the fish. <laughs> Lovely. <I think> so. <laughs> Lovely. So, listen, welcome to the clearing. Um, so we're going to uh, introduce you to the wonderful structure of these storytelling metaphors, archetypes as we go through. So um, in everything that you are about, where do you go? What is your clearing all about? And I, it's sort of implicit in what we've been talking about, but it doesn't have to be. What is a clearing to Katie Elliott? Well, I, I don't know if I'm slightly subverting the format here, but I was thinking about my clearing and I kind of thought about the obvious places that I go. But really, I think my clearing is an, is a, is an action rather than a place. So my clearing is movement and um, the way where I go to get clear and to figure out what I think and to find a sense of calm and peace and connect with myself is, is in walking. So by... Uh, my kind of happiest feeling is to sling a small bag over my shoulder, be wearing something that feels comfortable and just about warm enough and just to take off and not necessarily to know where I'm going or for how long, because there's something about the process of moving. It doesn't work for me when I'm running, because when I'm running, I spend the whole time thinking, can I stop running now, please? <laughs> so not, not so much with running um, and very, very often, uh, that will be through uh, fields and woods, particularly near where I live in Gloucestershire, or possibly up a tree, briefly up a tree. I do quite like climbing trees when I get the chance, although I'm a bit like a cat and I find it much easier to get up than to get down. You have so, to call the fire brigade quite a lot. Um, I haven't done that yet, but, you know, it's always it's always <laughs> a possibility. So um, but there's something about being in movement that I find just frees things up and means that new ideas pop into my head that weren't there before and do you need to be on your own when you're doing this ideally for your clearing or is, or are you accompanied on that trail i love to walk with people and i love to have walking meetings with people that's one of my favorite things i'm not very keen generally speaking on uh, everybody sitting down but no for for my clearing i'm a bit of an introvert really i love people with a passion I really really love working with people but absolutely need lots of time on my own and if I want to uh, find clarity then yes I, I, I go by myself 
And I love the fact there's a beautiful segue to the fact you're going to climb a tree because within your clearing, if you'll allow me to join you, even though I think you really do want to be on your own for this particular walk, but I'm going to join you in your clearing. And there is a tree as my next metaphor. And in fact, you can be the first person, maybe the only person who's decided to climb that tree. And rather than me shaking the tree to see which apples fall out, you can start to bung them down for us from the canopies. Fantastic. So the tree has within it um, some storytelling apples or, or fruit of choice. And they take the form of a storytelling exercise called 54321, where you've had five minutes or as long as you needed, Katie Elliott, th to think about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention, and then one quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. So shimmy away up your tree. And um, you can go on the open road in the vista from your canopy wherever you like. But how would you like to interpret that exercise? Oh, wonderful. Well, shall I start with my four then? Let's do this. The four things that have shaped me. Oh, um, uh, well, so many things. But I, probably the first thing that shaped me was I had a really isolated childhood. I'm the youngest of four by a long way. So I spent almost my whole childhood just with quite elderly parents living in the middle of nowhere. So we lived on the edge of Bodmin Moor when I was a kid and uh, had to go to school on the school bus. And basically, because I had really quite antisocial parents, didn't really get to have friends home very much. So I was a very lonely child. But the way in which that shaped me was uh, it made me quite resourceful. So I started writing music and making things with my hands and going for walks by myself when I was really quite small. And although at the time it had a slightly forlorn quality to it, if I'm honest, there was an awful lot of one day I'll have friends. I like the um, hindsight of the word forlorn. I love that. It's a by the way, it's yes. a beautiful word, forlorn. Yes, I, 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 was, I was good at forlorn when I was quite small um, and actually still can do forlorn quite well. That's now ingrained forlornness but uh, I was particularly good at it around the age of sort of eight nine ten when I would love to have had lots of friends around and tried to understand how human beings work I was mainly mainly writing poetry writing music and um, just staring at clouds trees birds things like that and um, it was actually a very fertile ground for everything that I do now but at the time I didn't realize it so I'm grateful for it with hindsight. I do really get that because of the resourcefulness of if you can get good at your own company although you know there are darker sides to forlornness of that but I think the inner resolve and resource of being able to fill your time in a way where you're at peace with one's own company you know on occasions I think that's such a delicious quality to have ultimately. Yes, and that's where the tree climbing started. So I'm grateful for that too. So another thing that shaped me was... Uh, and sorry, just to interrupt you, you're also an illustrator. I know you don't have to talk about that so much, but you're, it makes sense that in your, in your room, I mean, behind you, you've got that lovely poster. This is a bit of a visual observation for those listening on a podcast, but you've got your cards, Amico cards, which you self-illustrated, didn't you as well? No, I didn't. No, I worked oh. with a wonderful designer called Anthony Oram, who's fabulous. But we, we worked on them together and I did have opinions about things, but no... Uh, all the credit for how beautiful those are goes to Anthony because he's uh, he's a total star. And I, I love how generous you are. If I ever get a, a reference wrong, you'll always uh, attribute it to the right person. That was oh, the well, they're all wonderful. That's why. So I just want to make sure people no, no. know. Good on you. Um, so another That's thing great. that shaped me was a bit later, after I'd done the um, illustrating and writing children's books, I decided 
on a whim that what I really wanted to do was become a jazz musician. And I discovered that improvised, well, improvised anything, actually, but because I have a musical background and love playing music, uh, being an improvising musician was just fabulous for me because it's, as you know, better than most people, it's, it's just about embracing whatever comes at you and then making good use of it. And as a life skill, I don't think they get much better than that. Also, the, the way it works within, within the world of jazz is that there are certain things that you need to kind of equip yourself with. So a knowledge of certain repertoire, an ability to play around certain chord changes, you know, some kind of facility on your instrument, your voice, whatever it is that you use. But once you've got those things in place, you can literally go anywhere in the world and drop into a jam session, even if you don't speak the same language. And then you can make something beautiful with other people that you've never met before. And I guess when I mentioned earlier that I host these conversational spaces, that's got that same quality. It's that we're all coming with something uh, of our own, with a basic set of skills, but we're coming with our uniqueness and together we're improvising to make something that would never otherwise have happened. So it's, it's that improvisational quality really fascinates me. The ability to riff, to, yeah. to enable a place where people can come and riff. And I love the fact it transcends all language barriers because, of course, it does. And indeed, have you done that? Have you turned up randomly to a, a jazz bar abroad and just riffed? Um, I, I went to I, I turned up to a jam session in Harlem once. And, and that was that was just wonderful because I didn't know anybody. And I'm, I'm really I mean, you know me, Chris, you know, I'm a little bit on the. I would tend to generally be on the quiet, slightly shy side, but something in me was brave enough to kind of produce uh, at that point. I had, a, I had a flute with me because I couldn't take a piano on the plane very easily. Um, <laughs> so I produced a flute and just kind of sidled up to these guys who were playing quite happily without any <laughs> anybody else, you know, needing to, to join in and just said, "Could I, would it be all right? Could I just, you know, and um, they did look slightly concerned to be honest I didn't necessarily look like an obvious you know person that anyone would want to play with slightly disheveled off the plane looking like a uh, not a cool middle-aged woman as long as you had a cigarette enigmatically off to one side in your mouth that would be <laughs> while you play the flute. the flute very difficult anyway <laughs> they, they very generously said all right then and and the fact was because I could play instantly they recognized I could play and then it, it was fine it's like do you want to do another one that that quality of if you can if you can listen and you can contribute something that adds to the whole without making it all about you which is just like conversation then then you're welcome and uh yeah so that was that was fun and also quite scary <laughs> and had you gone into a bar in New York you could have stood next to Woody Allen with your flute as well <laughs> Yes, that definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I love that. The ability to, I mean, the really lovely thing to to really capture is the, is the idea of riffing and the ability to just yes and and, yeah. and and play with permission to contribute. Yes. And so a third thing, I hope I'm not being too long-winded here, but... No, I... I all right. Um, uh, so I've got two sons and very, very early on, I think when my eldest son was one, for re reasons that... I can no longer even fully remember uh, it crossed our minds that we would home educate our kids. And I remember when I first thought about it, I thought that's a very weird thing to do. Um, and 
who even does that? And then I started reading about home education and I got into the, the whole kind of philosophy um, of alternative forms of education and autonomous learning. And it made so much sense to me that we decided that that's what we do with our, with our kids, whilst always giving them the option of going to school if they wanted to, which neither of them did in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought that was about their learning. Really, it, it was about me learning how to learn because what I discovered through taking an autonomous approach to home educating two kids was that I needed to really take seriously their interests, their aptitudes, and the energy that they had at any given time for taking on board new information. So rather than timetabling the day and saying between 9 and 10 a.m. we're going to be doing history, it was always very responsive. And if on a given day there was something that was happening you know, in the political world or in the environment or whatever it was that was of interest to us, then that's what we did without worrying about how it would fit or what sense it made. And the reason why that's shaped me enormously is because I started to allow myself to learn in that way. So rather than thinking I should be learning how to do this or I should have this qualification or whatever it might be, I, I started to follow my interests more wholeheartedly. And I thought if there's energy there and I really want to read that book um, or I really want to take that course or I really want to go for that walk or I really want to talk to that person, then I'm going to pay attention to what's alive in me rather than what I think I ought to be doing in order to be making sense of my learning. And that was transformative. And I'd find that sometimes I was passionate about reading a book and I'd read a third of it and then I'd have no interest in reading the rest of it. And rather than thinking, oh, well, I should finish it because mm. I started it or because I bought it and I really ought to get value from it. I started allowing myself to be much more flexible in my approach to learning. And what I discovered was that for me, as someone who likes to do creative things, it was uh, it was really helpful. It meant that I could dip in and out of things and I could spend a lot of time making connections, building things onto the things I already understood and knew how to do. And I could grow a very unique skill set that didn't really look like anybody else's, but was very much what I love to do. And very resourced as well. And it's beautiful about the law of attraction, as in go where you notice something's energetically chiming or attractive um, and finding shiny things almost, which is more finding Nemo than we think. <laughs> oh, shiny. <laughs> and so to go off on a sortie of, of, of where your energy is, is chiming. Yes. And I'm, I'm not for a moment saying that you don't need to persevere. I mean, of course, there are times when you need to push through and something isn't necessarily what you feel like doing, but you need to do it anyway. I'm not, I'm not for a moment saying that one shouldn't do those things, but I find there's a very different quality. For example, you mentioned the Amico cards that we made. During the process of creating, designing, crowdfunding, publishing those, there were loads of moments where I didn't feel energized by the process because it was really hard work mm. and there were decisions to be made that I didn't enjoy making. But I think if, if you're overall pursuing something that has meaning for you, that you believe in, that you feel energized by, then pushing through those things feels different somehow mm. from trying to force yourself to do something because you think you're supposed to. And that's what I'm interested in, that quality of noticing, whether it's something that you're resisting because it's hard or because you're a bit scared by it, maybe. Mm in which case it's probably quite a good idea to keep going 
yes. whether you're resisting, because really you just don't care. Yes. <laughs> in which case, life is just too short. And during the time we spent in the summer where you were curating the course, um, I, I remember there's something that really chimed, which is uh, you told the most phenomenal story about the nature of ideas and which ones to pursue and which ones not to pursue. Alongside a quote I stumbled upon, which is what's meant for you won't pass you by. And even the very morning of knowing that I needed to sign up for your course, I saw something go past on LinkedIn and I immediately signed up for it because it came into my vision just at the point where I thought that's meant for me. It's not going to pass me by. And I clicked. Would you like to tell the story of the idea of the nature of stories, which are yours or not yours? Oh, I did. Yeah, that comes from um, Kevin Kelly. And I came across it because I was listening to Tim Ferriss on his podcast interviewing Kevin Kelly. Um, And Kevin Kelly talks about ideas and I'd always had this preciousness around ideas thinking yes I have lots of ideas and I need to use them all and every time a new idea came to me it it was sort of like being given a gift and it was also a bit like you know somebody was putting a burden on my back because I believed that if I'd had an idea I had to do something with it and you know for many of us we have lots of ideas and that's quite a weight to be carrying because as you know so far I've only found 24 hours in the day so hearing Kevin Kelly say that that he tries to get rid of ideas because there are so many of them that he doesn't take them so seriously as I was doing was revelatory really so he said you should try and give them away you should encourage other people to do them rather than you having to do them yourself if you can't do that I think he says kill them try and kill your ideas and then and only then if they keep coming back and nobody else will take them and you can't kill them then that's probably your idea to do something with. But you can shed an awful lot of the extraneous ones and just then focus in on the ones that are properly yours, which and, for me was so helpful. And indeed, resonance was so helpful for me too. This very podcast, the Good Listening To podcast that I'm doing now is partly because of that process. I couldn't get rid of the idea. I guess it's mine and I'm getting on with it. And, it, it, and, and during the summer as well, um, I, I experienced a lot of what was called by a very enigmatic actor called Chris O'Dowd on a Louis Theroux podcast, which is an equivalent, uh, you know, different thing. Um, it, it, Chris O'Dowd said, there's been a lot of creative diarrhea going on during lockdown. Of, you know, ideas squitting about everywhere. But the sort of comic comedian in me knows that this is me now being happy to report some solids. And I've got an idea that actually seems to have some some, you know, gold and some alchemy in it, which is what we're coming on to after we finished with your tree, by the way. Yes, absolutely. So my fourth thing that shaped me, and I'll I'll be brief, and I've already alluded to it, but I had a massive breakdown four and a half years ago and ended up hospitalised and, you know, locked up on a secure psychiatric ward. And my world had ended absolutely, absolutely felt as though there was no possibility of hope, redemption, future, all of it. I can't you know, I probably sound like I'm being flippant now because I'm in a good place now and I'm saying it in quite a cheery voice, but... Um... It's a survivor's voice, which I'm really enjoying. And indeed, it's it's more recent than I appreciated. I assumed it was longer ago, but it was four and a half years ago only. So I'd been in hospital before um, and I'd had years of things steadily accumulating in me and becoming more difficult. And I think, you know, many of us, as we reach middle age, will have that experience of things that we've tried to suppress, things that we've tried to push down, Mm. they're not going to be pushed down anymore and they are going to come to the surface and they need facing. For me, a whole load of them came at the same time and uh, I was utterly 
utterly hopeless and felt broken beyond repair mm. to the extent that I thought that the world would be a much better place without me in it. Genuinely oh. felt like that, not in a kind of tell me I'm wrong kind of way, but in a way that, that was, you know, in every atom of my being, I felt that was the truth. So um, that shaped me because, well, partly because I survived it, but mainly because I discovered that I wasn't broken beyond repair, mm. that there was hope, that there was redemption, actually, and that better than all of that, that the process of breaking was what has led me to have such an incredible gratitude for and, and passion for life now. And it's very easy to say that looking back now from a place of feeling resilient and happy. It's very easy to look back and say, oh, that needed to happen and to get me here. I, I would never, <laughs> I, I would never underplay that. And if, you know, if anybody listening is in the midst of feeling broken and hopeless right now, um, you know, the idea that it'll all make sense one day is probably not even very helpful. But mm. all I can say is that the truth of it for me is that it made me and it, it made me into someone that I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to become. And it was the, the learning that came from that pain and that fear and that complete lack of direction that was a more profound source of learning and um, personal development than anything I'd ever experienced. So just a deep gratitude really for surviving, but for surviving with gifts that I, I didn't know were possible. Almost like a dark night of the soul as it's sometimes couched. And the, the really extraordinary word in there was redemption. Uh, and, and you know, in, in that word's incredibly uh, complex. Uh, it often implies there's been some dark, guilt or something you need to be forgiven for but it wasn't that it was sort of a soul redemption or or almost like a rebooting it might sound i think it was that true uh, too though because um you know well, um, without meaning to trigger anybody i'd attempted suicide and so for me there there was a sense of needing redemption because uh despite the fact that that attempt came from you know the kind of hopelessness i describe it wasn't attention seeking it wasn't you know, trying to make a fuss and, and get other people to rescue me, it was literally giving up. Mm. But to have done that, and to have done that knowing that I had many people who loved and cared about me who would have been heartbroken, mm. um, not least the fact I'm a parent, you know, to, to know that I'd done that and I had children, those were things I would never judge anyone else for what they what they might do in their lives but I had an awful lot of judgment and shame around my own actions um, and no matter how compassionate I can be looking back knowing that I was really unwell mm. uh, the, the biggest process for me in the early stages of recovery from that time were learning how to manage my sense of shame um, being you know not just about talking about it but but trying to get to a place where I could look people in the eyes again and feel that things could be okay because shame is a tricky one to overcome. And I, I certainly found that after I left the hospital, the thing that was most likely to put me back there 
was was trying to manage the shame. I felt so mm. bad about what I'd done that I was in danger of doing it again, bizarrely. Mm. But I think that's not unusual for people who've been in that place. Yes. And the fact that you're at peace with that now, even though it's not over till it's over and, and life continues, obviously it's somewhere you, I, I would imagine you, you have to revisit often in your own heart, really, because it's your part of your past. It, part of the reason why I talk about it publicly mm. is because I feel that's something that where I can potentially give something back in being honest about it and showing yeah. that recovery can be possible and that recovery from shame can be possible because it's um, it can be an all-pervading feeling and a yes. very, very difficult one to live with. The quirks of Zoom, there is a, a bottle truck uh, going <laughs> clank, clank. So I'm just going to so hold, hold the space caller. I'm not abandoning you. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me? I could play a little interlude. Oh, I please could, do. Yeah, I could play, anyway, no, maybe not now. Oh, it, it wasn't on. You could have done that. That would have been quite... The jazz musician doing a filler there. I love that. Oh, I Very nice. So... Um, Beautiful. I think we might be, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we might be on to things that inspire you now. Is oh, we right? are. Yes. We'll be a bit quicker about these, although I can no, get excited about those rich things. tapestry stuff indeed. Thing one that inspires me, people who are unapologetically themselves. I just love it when you see people and they're doing weird stuff and, and they're not necessarily looking like they're cool about it. And I don't know, but they just do it anyway. That I love. I love people who just go out into the world, do their thing with a smile on their face because it's them. And that's what I want to be when I grow up. Lovely expression. I love that. When I grow up and let's <laughs> never grow up. Our inner child is something that needs to be with us all our lives. <laughs> um, something else that inspires me, um, music, music. And uh, I use it as a kind of mood and state shifter all of the time. So um, just you know, being able to listen, to, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spotify and other things where you can listen to things you might not otherwise come across. And the potential for new ideas, for new ways of feeling in my body that come from listening to different types of music never ceases to inspire me. So, uh, and also just, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who thinks of themselves as a dancer. I was I gave up ballet after the second lesson when my teacher when I was four oh. described me as a bit like a sack of potatoes. I well uh, I love that a, a bit like a yes harsh but I don't know if it was true or not. I I think I think possibly I could have been better at dance had that not happened and I pursued it a little bit further. But anyway, I do like dancing but just probably not in front of anybody. And so, you know, I like many of us who are working on Zoom lots at the moment. There's an awful lot of sitting down that we do. Yes. So if I can't go for a walk with my little rucksack on my back and climb a tree, another thing I might do is just loud music and and just move and then notice how that shifts everything. So it's a particular kind of inspiration, but it's like a an energetic inspiration. And again, very relatable. I was back on stage with Instant Wit for the first time since the pandemic last Saturday, and we did something very joyful where we solved an aspect of the pandemic in masks using the gift of dance. Oh, Chris, I wish I'd seen that. So you just play random jazz stuff, riff, and we just, we solve, we, we solve all major world issues. And so we solved the pandemic using the gift of dance. 
I am actually speechless for a moment there. Did you notice? I, I, yeah, normally I, just I, the I myself realised I'd created an awkward silence. <laughs> no, no, no. I've just, just my mind is off anyway. So that also inspires me. I don't know if I'm allowed to put that in, but, you know, that idea inspires me. Um, and another thing, I bet everybody says this all the time on your podcast, but um, just being out in nature, just... Not everyone does, actually, oh, but, but yes. Uh, oh, I, I mean, you know, really... Amazing. How can we take ourselves so seriously? You just wander into nature. You look at, you know, one tree and there's just so much amazingness right there. And it's all happening without, as far as I know, you or I controlling it. That is pretty encouraging, I find. And it also reminds me that when I don't know the answer to something and I feel like I should I should know and I should be able to solve problems and I should make decisions and I should yeah. be in control that inspires me to just let go a little bit yes into the not knowing and notice how many things there are i don't know yes and, it, and they seem to be all right and it reminds they us of humility better. and scale humility perspective and and a word that people, we don't use very often but awe i mean awe is actually you know the work a lot of the work i do is around identifying things that are good for us and our well-being and our mental health and um, having a sense of awe is actually really good for us psychologically and probably physically as well. Just going yeah. out and being awed by the enormity or the beauty or the complexity or the unfathomability of something. Beautiful. Yeah. Is good for us. So, yeah, bring it on. And in fact, during this journey to the podcast clearing, I went out into nature not knowing that I'd find it, but suddenly, boff, in front of me was the tree that I had in my mind for the sort of metaphor. And that informed the first, there's been two versions of the logo, but one of them is this this clearing where I'm sat under a tree, ready to give people a damn good listening to in this clearing. And But nature provided that. And, and there's this, we keep mentioning the word tree. And I just think that's lovely that it's here you are up a tree, sharing your, your stories with us as well. Yeah. And also just sort of following on from that idea is that, Another thing that's a really important theme in all of the work I do is that we reveal ourselves all the time, that we kind of show who we are and what we want and how we think to the outside world or, or the, that it is that there are clues all the mm. time that uh, I was talking with someone once in a coaching session and we talked about being a data squirrel and just sort of rushing around collecting little bits of data yeah. uh, in order to figure out who you are and what you want, because often we don't we're not very in tune with those things. But one of the amazing things about you know, you go out in nature and the things that you pay attention to tell you what you're interested in. They help you. They can help you make decisions. It's one of those yeah, crazy yeah. things. You know, there's kind of cognitive biases like confirmation bias, where if you're thinking about buying a new car, suddenly you see that kind of car everywhere. Our mind is very good at filtering things according to what's important to us. So sometimes just going for a walk in nature, mm. the things that occur to you when you look at a, t a tree that has the most beautiful golden autumnal leaves. Yes. The meaning you make from that is beyond just your perception of that tree. And it's actually telling you something really inspiring about what to do next. And sometimes it's remembering to remember to be present, to appreciate the beauty going on around you. Because I, I know we can all get a bit snagged in the reeds in the flow of life sometimes. So it's, it's, it's having that receptor open. <gasps> remember to breathe and remember to notice that that's a staggering piece of bark in front of you or something like that. But... <laughs> yes all of that so i think that's my three bits of inspiration i gorgeous stuff and now we're talking about two things that never fail to grab your attention katie elliott 
Oh, um, one of them sound. I'm very, I'm a very auditory person, so uh, I will notice sounds very readily, and um, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I have a, I have a teenage son who goes off to work at about ten to six every morning on his motorbike. And somehow I always know when he's leaving because there's part of me that always wants to go and wave goodbye. Oh. Um, uh, and uh, sometimes it would be quite nice to sleep through because, you know, I don't set my alarm for 10 to 6. But I love the sort of Pavlovian response of <laughs> then you start waving. <laughs> no, do you know, it's, even, it's before he's actually switched it on. I, okay. There's something about the act of him leaving the house that, that I notice even. It's a bit like I think it's a bit like um like a mother cat yes. sleeping with one one ear and it's an affirmative sound that life goes on when the happens and you feel waving so there's that but also just um i meant that was a motorbike not just waking up and going which is a different meaning (laughs) 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 um i don't know generally so i i've got my own podcast and i one of the things i do when i'm editing my podcast is um you know listen for the sound of smiling listen for the things that people reveal between speaking words. So all of that, the amount of time that something needs. So like if you're, if you're creating a piece of music, exactly how much time do you need at the end of the piece of music before there's sound again? And one of the things I used to find hard when I was a performing musician was, was those times when people weren't really listening that much. And the minute you finish playing, they would clap and cheer because they hadn't really been listening Mm. and you know when you're when you do something and people are really 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 listening at the point when you stop playing there's almost always a kind of natural out breath yes uh you tend to get it more with classical concerts i think but so those things about silence and and sound and the things that we don't recognize as meaningful sounds but are actually revealing the sound of silence yes all of that yeah and there's a wonderful I... podcast called the sound of silence a lovely man called steve chapman has a podcast in which he invites people to come and be entirely silent with him for two minutes that's the podcast so that's a genius simon and garfunkel have signed up for that <laughs> <laughs> so that's my first thing that never fails to catch my attention by the way there is a delicious t.s Eliot quote about silence which is words after speech, reach into the silence. And you've reminded me of that beautiful moment when somebody has done something where it was just absolute gold at the end of a musical piece or a theatre piece, when you just don't want to interrupt because you're just blissed and raptured by the silence. Yeah. So all of that. And and the other thing I choose is something that never fails to capture my attention. Um, stories of people who reinvent themselves, reimagine what's possible, change things, don't follow convention. Just love them. I love reading about people who, you know, stretch their physical endurance beyond what we think is possible. People who go places in ways that you wouldn't have thought was possible. Uh, people who you know develop their their imagination their minds their sense of compassion who are you know unimaginably generous or altruistic whatever it is those kind of extremes i'm just fascinated by because it makes me think if that person can do it then 
I reckon probably all of us could do it a bit more than we do. So that sense of stretching and inspiration, I love to be, um, I love to be inspired by what other people show to be possible. And, and the comedian in me was just thinking then, because of feats of unimaginable endurance, I'll just put it out there, the idea of pogo sticking to the South Pole or something. <laughs> exactly. And if you were to do that, Chris, I would be the first person to buy your book. <laughs> well, we heard it first here on the Good Listening To podcast. <laughs> so we're now on to the quirky or unusual fact about you that we couldn't possibly know about you until you tell us, Katie Elliott. Well, um, in line with that, that sense of, oh, I wonder what's possible. Uh, and also in line with the fact that I like climbing trees and find it hard to get down from them. Uh, during my recovery from my breakdown a few years ago, one of the main things that I did to try and help myself become a bit more robust was to get fitter. And I really enjoyed becoming very bad at a number of sports and becoming a bad runner and all sorts of things. But I really, really got into being a bit fitter. And at a certain point, I thought, I really want to have something to aim for with this fitness. I'd like to make sense of it so it doesn't just peter out again. So I decided that I was going to become a firefighter. Wow. And and so um, I was working with a personal trainer and I prepared myself. I sort of figured out how it was all going to work. My local fire station was looking for retained firefighters, people who could be on call. Um, and so I went through the selection procedure I got myself fit enough to be a firefighter and did weight training and all kinds of other things um and I yeah and I passed all but one of the tests I needed to redo one of the physical tests and I had an ankle injury and as a result of the ankle injury it was taking a while for that to heal up and during that period of time I decided that the work that I'm doing with little challenges was actually where my heart was and that's what I wanted to pursue but had that not been the case... Don't! So I need to get... <laughs> My mum and dad, go away! It's not a good time! Sorry. So... They, might, they might be up a tree and they might need rescue. They might. Need to they might. <laughs> anyway, that, so... That is, tree con- that, that is tree connected. My mum's ringing me to about when to meet at Westonville Arboretum. So trees are just recurring throughout this conversation. But I can Well, if pre- it happens to be Monday afternoon, I'll see you there because that's where I'm going. Anyway... Um, yeah, so the quirky fact, some people know this, but um, is that if if I weren't here doing this, I would be being a firefighter. So you, you didn't commit to being a sort of uh, on-hold fire person. You've decided to get going with little challenges. And... I, I still had to do one, one thing. There was one thing I needed to complete to pass all the tests. I passed all but one, and I was all set to do that. And then during that period of trying to get my ankle healed up, I decided that it wasn't... You know, I'm not sure the fire service actually needed needed me that much i think perhaps it was just an important part of the process although they seem quite keen bizarrely maybe love that the, the, maybe the, more you know slightly unfit middle-aged women are required i'm not sure and you've got that one test to go so can you retain what you've learned so far and then just go back and say can i just quickly run up the stairs with you over my shoulder to pass the final test i like <laughs> Um, I, I don't think that would happen now. And I think I'm probably, I think I'm probably over that thinking that, that I would be an asset. What, what was a lay fire person called? It was, it was a temporary one. And what was it called? A, a retained one. Lovely. It means you have to be within a certain distance of the fire station and on call for a ridiculous number of hours a week. They are amazing, amazing people doing amazing yes. work. And I have so much more respect now that I understand how the whole system works. And you may have been the only retained fire person on the planet who can also play the flute. 
Maybe not. I don't know. But I, I, th I think that's unlikely. But uh, you probably put some other things together. And, and yeah, yeah. Well, we're all unique, aren't we? <laughs> so are you happy to shimmy down your tree now? Because I'm bringing you back into the clearing to talk about something else now. Anything else you want to say before you get yeah, down? I mean, if, you, if you've got something I could jump into, maybe like they do, because I'm not sure about the whole getting down thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm running to down. By the way, I've just realised I've missed a real trick here. You're stuck up the tree and we need to call the fire service. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to turn up yourself. And that's your last <laughs> test to get down from the tree. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. So here we are. Now we're going to talk about alchemy and gold. And you've been giving this in spades anyway, in terms of mining for gold. But if I can just ask you, Katie Elliott, when you feel that you are at purpose and truly in flow, what is what is the alchemy and the gold that you're bringing, would you say? Um. I I love to try and create spaces where people feel all right about who they are. If there was one thing I could do whilst I'm here, it would be to help people to see the beauty in themselves and one another a bit more readily. And so I just try to create experiences and spaces and opportunities for that to happen more than it otherwise would. beautiful i'm now going to award you if i may with a metaphorical cake katie elliott for giving us the grace of your time during this conversation and the cake is now yours and you're going to have a, an opportunity to put a cherry on the cake and the cherry on the cake again is open to interpretation but it can be the best piece of advice you've ever been given it could be a favorite inspirational quote or it could be notes you know or advice to your younger self open to interpretation but what, what would the cherry on the cake like to be in your case okay so when i was 16 i was fervently religious for a while i had a very very intensely religious phase and during that time um uh my dad gave me a book and in the front of it he wrote to thine own self be true which i think is a quote from polonius in hamlet it is and um my dad was very, very disapproving of my fervently religious phase. It was not his thing at all. And I remember when he wrote this in my book, my gift, I remember thinking, he doesn't understand me and he's telling me to listen to myself and really I should be, you know, I should be focusing on, on other things. And I was very, very resistant to what he'd written in my book because I felt like he just didn't get me. And funnily enough now, really what I spend my whole time doing is encouraging people to be true to themselves, to really, really listen to what they know to be true, to their values, to um, their sense of where they're needed and where they can make the greatest contribution. So I feel like I kind of, now I get it. I was really resistant to it back then. And in the time that he was alive, I don't think I ever really understood it. I think I always felt that we were slightly at loggerheads in our beliefs. And it just makes me smile now to think I can look at that book now and see it in his handwriting. And he's he's long gone, my dad. But I can see that and think, isn't it funny that that's kind of what I ended up doing with my life? I just love that. To thine own self be true, Katie Polonius Armitage. <laughs> and it's so lovely because of Hamlet too, to be or not to be. It's this idea of just existence and in this beautiful space that you curate. So there's my cherry. Beautiful cherry. And 
Where else can we find out about Katie Elliott on the interweb if anyone wants to find out more about you? Best place to find me is at uh, littlechallenges.com. And if you go there, you can find out about all of the different things I'm doing. I've got a brand new course. I host these free online conversations called Little Connections, but most people don't call them that. <laughs> uh, the whole Amico card thing that we talked about earlier, there's a there's a free supporting website. There are all kinds of resources and things on there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And I'm very responsive, so do say hello, because I do love to make new friends. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes, and my absolutely gorgeous guest today has been Katie Elliott from Little Connections. I love that. Thank you very much indeed. Little challenges. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was going so well. That was that was that was falling at the last hurdle. Little challenges. But you're all about connection. You see what I did there? So it was a Freudian slip. But um, Katie Polonius Armitage, thank you for speaking to me today. It's been my pleasure. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. If you've enjoyed the programme, then please do subscribe on all the usual channels. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the programme too, and I'm hosted on Buzzsprout. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. And then on Twitter and Instagram, at that Chris Grimes. Also, if you'd be interested in having some coaching from me to help you level up your confidence, your personal impact or your brand, then contact me via email, chris at secondcurve.uk. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>